baby back door, baby fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill a cow. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. The game may be over, but they are just getting started. Raw and unfiltered, this is the OU Insider staff, and this is the Under the Visor postgame podcast. Another OU Insider post game ass kicking podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Thune. We are in a Holiday Inn in Arlington. Uh, and Oklahoma lost 55 to 24. If you didn't know, they did. And they are not very good. At least right now. The weird part, Parker. Is how positive everybody was in the post game. Wasn't that like odd? Like, is does does Danny Stutzman ever had a bad day? Like, honestly, he 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 acts like there's nothing wrong, and I think that's probably part of the issue. I'm not just singling him out because he's a great guy. Great, he's gonna be a good football player. He is a good football player. He's having a rough go right now. But how can you do that? How can you watch what we've watched? for the last two weeks and say everything's okay it's not okay it's not okay seven penalties 80 yards almost 100 yards last week go ahead parker help me jump in on this bull crap man i can't help you brandon i it reminds me of the scene in moneyball where Brad Pitt's character walks into the locker room after they've lost again, shuts everything down, and goes, is losing fun? And makes a player answer the rhetorical question. Makes him say, yes. Then he goes, what are you having fun for? (laughs) No one should be having fun right now at Oklahoma. Because nothing about this is fun. Nothing was enjoyable about that game today. And first things first, prayers up to Damon Harmon. Because obviously we do not know the severity, the extent of that injury. But it looked bad. It looked scary. Anytime they're immobilizing you and stretching you off. I talked to somebody actually after the game about it. And do we have any indication of... Yeah, 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 yeah. So... This person obviously is around them every day. The okay. staffer. Okay. You probably know who I'm talking about. 
I think I would I would think so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tracking. Continue. Okay. Um, and I pulled under the side as they were walking into the tunnel, and I said, "How is he doing? Is he going to be okay?" And he said, "Look, I think he's precautionary. He just kind of got bent back, had some back problems." And then Brent Venables kind of reiterated that in the presser. So obviously prayers still up for Demon Harmon, but I, I think everything's going to be all right in the end. Like hopefully he's not out for an extended period of time. Hopefully everything gets cleared whenever they get through it. But I mean, it was a scary situation. It obviously. was, and that's that's a good dude, and you can't can't help but hope that. Uh, he's going to be all right and won't miss substantial time. It seems pretty inevitable that he's going to miss, miss some time, yeah. no doubt. But uh, that, obviously, in the late stages, that football game kind of took precedence over everything that had happened on the field leading up to it. But there's no way to sugarcoat this. There's no way to spin this, Brandon. That was the worst game Oklahoma's played maybe since the John Blake era. Like, yeah. That's not out of the question. All yeah. things considered, because th- they've had bad losses before. Yeah, the LSU and Peach Bowl. They've had yeah. plenty of bad losses between the John Blake era and now. But when you're talking about the quality of the opponents, and this is no knock on TCU, but that's not a team that you should have allowed to put up 668 yards of offense on you. No. The... We're looking at the stats, folks. So I got the stats pulled up on the computer, the, the cameras above us. Uh, and it is not pretty. Um, I, I, I don't like. I'm like speechless looking at it. Like I literally, when I'm trying to like formulate words, they don't want to come out. Like you need nothing, because I I don't know that I can put what we saw into words. It. It was I, laughable. I, like I literally started laughing at some one point during the game. And I think it was when Deshaun White and Justin Harrington got they started doing a, a, a what is it, a pirouette on the on the you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. On <laughs> like the sixty five yard run. Yeah, I was they like were, Oh my gosh. There were so many blown assignments defensively. So many. Some of them were very conspicuous. Danny Stutzman sold out and didn't contain on the read option play that Max Duggan took 67 yards to the house. Uh, You had two pass plays of 60 plus yards that went the distance in total. Oklahoma allowed four offensive plays that went for touchdowns of over 60 yards. Bad. That can't happen. Regardless of who you are, regardless of who the opponent is, at the division one level in the sport of football, that just shouldn't happen. There's no reason for that to occur. And that right there is one of the many testaments from a statistical standpoint to how bad this effort was from Oklahoma defensively. And what's astonishing, Brandon, is we sat here a week ago. And what was the sentiment? Well, there's really nowhere to go but up. Right. At least you know that's the worst defensive performance you're going to see all year. Turns out it wasn't even close to it. <laughs> Not even close to it. So, can, can we talk scheme, I guess, for a minute? Like, can we talk scheme? Like, sure. Why the heck 
are they running a three-man front without a true nose tackle? Like, I am bewildered by that. I, I get Isaiah Coe is a true nose. Like, he's a good true nose. Yeah. But he can't play every down, and he's not in there. Like, Jeffrey Johnson is a big guy, but he's a three-tech. The Jalen Redman is not a nose. He's an athletic three-tech. He can actually play the four four I and the five like that is probably his true position is the four I five and three. Those are, those are best suited for him. I, I, I don't understand why they don't go back to a four man front or at least an odd man four man front. And what I, what I mean by folks that don't understand this, what I mean by an odd four man front is a shift over where it looks like a three man front and you pull the Jack backer down to be kind of your offset defensive end, seven tech, five tech, however you want to line up, however you want to shade him. And it all depends on obviously the alignment that the opponent's offense is doing. So um, the other thing I have questions about, and I'm going to ask people about this this week. At what point do we start seeing Robert Spears Jennings at safety? At what point do we start seeing Jaron Kanick more? Like, I think that has to happen because the Deshaun White, and I think he's a great person. I think he's a great, he's a, not great. He's a very good linebacker. Very good linebacker. He cannot cover in space. Like, I, I think he lost too much weight to play linebacker now. Honestly. He looks very, very trim. Yes. I don't know that that's a good thing. No. Um, here's what I will say. And it kind of echoes what, uh, you just hit on there, Brandon. I had a couple conversations with folks driving back, and the reality is, on the heels of a performance like that, you got to ask some tough questions and you got to make some tough decisions. And we know for a fact this is not scheme related. The Sooner struggles defensively. We know for a fact it's not scheme related. That's not the core of the issue. Is that contributing? Perhaps. Yeah. Could there be some corrections made? Sure. But when you look at Brent Venable's track record as a defensive play caller, there's no reason why, regardless of what the front is, the Sooners should be giving up almost 700 yards of offense. Well, he had these and, same issues at Clemson when he first got to Clemson, too, and the he, same defense. And here's the thing. We look at those numbers, 668 yards, 361 of them mm-hmm. on the ground. It could have been far worse. Yeah. When Oklahoma went up to Nebraska on September 17th, after that game, we sat here and said, yeah, Oklahoma could have named their score. TCU could have done that today as well. Yeah. They were scoring at will on this Oklahoma defense. At will. Whatever they wanted, they got it. And at a certain point, you have to look at your starting 11, and you got to make some tough decisions as to, which of these guys actually give me, give us right the best chance to win a football game. Now I will say this, the Sooners are going to have to shuffle the deck. That's going to be a necessity yeah. going forward because so many guys are hurt. Yeah. We talked about Damon Harmon. We haven't talked yet about the fact that Billy Bowman sat out the majority of the game. You would think he'd be back out. next week though, right? Like you would he, think he so. was moving around. He just was fine. Yeah, he yeah. was moving fine, but still. I'll 
that opens up a whole different can of worms right. about the return game because one of the things we had talked about before the season is do you really want your best players returning kicks and potentially opening them potentially opening them up to injury in a greater capacity yep. in that type of context but that aside Billy Bowman sat out the vast majority of that football game Marcus Stripling and R. Mason Thomas didn't travel, so you were down your two edge rushers. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think defensively. Did anybody else come out? You look at the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, Dylan Gabriel left the game with that concussion uh-huh. in the second quarter. Marcus Major did not travel. Eric Gray was sidelined in the third quarter or was the early fourth. This is decimated. Man. Uh, Theo Weiss came out of the game. Wanye Morris was in a sling out of the game by the second quarter, out yep. of pads by halftime. Anton Harrison came out of the game at one point, although he did re-enter. McCade Mataier was conspicuously banged up. Andrew Rame limped off the field. Well, like, he literally of jumped on one yeah. leg. His right, he could yeah. not put pressure on his right foot or leg coming off the like it was bad. We thought this team came back out is not only coming off their worst performance. I mean, I, I'm I'm just going to call it like this. There's no way they have a worse performance than that this season. Because it's unfathomable. Call his shot. Call his shot right it, now. Like, like it, 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 it is fathomable to me. I, I'm sorry, it's fathomable. I think, I think Texas honestly could lay sixty on them if they come out and play like this next week. Okay, so not only are you coming off what we fully expect would be your worst performance of the season, the worst performance defensively that we've seen from an Oklahoma team in years, maybe decades, but you are ravaged by injury right now yeah and severities will uh, severities are yet to be determined but there are a couple injuries in particular that really really sting obviously not having billy bowman was big because the sooners busted several coverages on the back end and you can't help but wonder would those have happened if you have billy Bowman? probably not um probably not but on the offensive side, man, it shows lack I, of depth, though, man. It shows the lack of depth. Yeah, honestly. no, it's, it's it, it is lack of depth and lack of quality depth because right. there's there's plenty of depth. It's just not good depth. And, right and the crazy thing is, is everybody in, at the safety position, when you go back and you look at the recruiting rankings and you look at who they were coming out of high school, they were good players. Like, so what what is going on? And I, I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this. Being that Grinch's defense was just so simple, like players did not have to think a whole lot. They just ran around and made plays, right? Sure. There wasn't a lot of disguising coverages. There wasn't a lot of disguising blitzes or, you know, changing post-snap what you were doing pre-snap or anything like that. Because of that, in the sheer nature and the culture of Oklahoma's defense for the last I don't know, decade. Oh, I, I mean, 2015 was the last time they were worth anything, I think, defensively. I mean, I guess they were good in 2020, and they were okay last year. But they were okay last year in 2020 because of their sheer talent. And I would probably say the same thing in 2021. It was off talent. All those dudes are in the NFL. So my point is, is my question is, is Venable's defense too intricate right now? No. For what they're trying to do with 
the mental capacity of some of the players that they have because of it's not like they can't they're not smart they're smart sure but it's the fact that they haven't had to do those things and think on the fly and be so precise in everything that they have to do defensively because Venable's defense if you're off a yard you're off a mile like that's just how it works sure no i don't think it's too intricate because I think you look at the very simple things. Oklahoma's not even doing those well defensively. They're not sealing the edge. They're not tackling. Oh my goodness, are they are they not tackling? That's all they did all week was work on tackle like literally all week. And that may be part of the injuries that their bodies are so banged up because they just killed each other all week. So what do you do? Like, what is Venables has to figure out a way. He's already tried the physical way during the week. Now, what do you do? What do you do? Well, and I, that question applies to so many different facets of what we witnessed today. Like, where do you go from here? But I think the prevailing question right now has to be, what do you do next week if Dylan Gabriel isn't available? Because I think it's very clear. And look, a lot of people understandably we're taking to social media to criticize Gabriel for his performance up until the injury, because he missed quite a few throws, quite a few throws that should have been made. Can I ask you a question but, on that though? Well, okay. Finish. Let me, yeah, let I want to ask this. you a question. Let's, let's this as pertains to Dylan Gabriel. Okay, yes. But if what you saw today wasn't a clear indicator of the reality that there is a massive gap between Dylan Gabriel and the rest of that quarterback room, I don't know what to tell you because uh, yeah, what we saw today from the quarterback position, Brandon, post Gabriel's injury, lends absolutely zero confidence that Oklahoma can go to the Cotton Bowl next weekend and win because that <laughs> offense was anemic after Gabriel left the ball. Yeah, it was really bad. I mean, the very first pass that Bevel tried to make was literally should have been just a little toss to Gray, <laughs> and he would have had what 20 30 yards on that play too yeah well designed Nobody well called there. and instead exactly what was supposed to happen you're supposed to have somebody in your face as a quarterback when you do that that's to draw the defender to you and have the running back slip behind dump it off and let him run out in space he darts it at him like scared to death tense as can be and throws it behind gray and you're just like wow how do you miss that Gray was literally three yards in front of you, dude. All you had to do was literally just loft it to him and then just let him go. Instead, he threw a bullet behind him. Like So at that point in time, you knew he was tense. But my question about Dylan's performance before the injury, fans, you're not going to like this question. Oh, boy. And I really don't care. I, I care that you all listen. I love that you all listen. I don't want you mad at us, or me in particular. But some of you all decided to blame Dylan last week stupidly. It was stupid. It was stupid. 330-plus yards passing, four touchdowns, 68% completion percentage, and he ran for 80 yards. That is not a stat line where I blame a quarterback at all. No. Okay? So my question is, and I look – I'm not saying – and there's multiple ways you can look at this question, multiple ways we can break this thing down, okay? Because there's – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose it to you. 
all the criticism they got, and it was pretty bad by some. You saw it. Yeah. I saw it. Sure. Did that get him tensing up a little bit, you think, today? Just a little bit? Like maybe in his head a little bit as he went out there to play? I Like put more pressure on himself to try to perform even better than he was? Which, honestly, he's performed, he was performing better than 90% of the quarterbacks in America at that point. So he's put unjust pressure on himself that didn't need to happen. Yeah. Because you could see well, it when he overthrew balls, when he overthrew passes. Everything seemed pushed and forced. But, so, so the fans... I, I, my point is, and my question is, do you think fans should maybe think about before they do that? Because, like, the yips happen. The yips do happen. And it almost, like, I I almost tweeted that because it really did seem like he had the yips there. For yeah. A um, but I don't think it has as much to do with the fans and the okay. expectations as it does with. Just a question I thought. No, no I, and I will say this. I think it has more to do with the game situation. Yeah. Because. You got to consider what happened right off the bat for Oklahoma. They get the ball first, and Marvin Mims fumbles it away. He got a first. He got a first down, right? Yeah, and then fumbled. Like they drove, TCU, what, how, what was the first play? Because I missed it. We'll get right. into that later there, on. The TCU traffic. There's been sucks. so much that has happened between. What do you think of TCU setup? By the way, it's the worst in the world, isn't it? I'm not a fan of the TCU experience, but we it don't sucks. need it. All right. Anyways, um, here's here's what I will say. I think Dylan Gabriel could have played the entire game today. Uh, the Sooners could have been beaten just as soundly. Probably and, wouldn't have, though. I don't well, so. no, they wouldn't Because they were but, starting to make kind of a run, it looked like. And to get things I, regardless of how many throws he missed at the beginning of the game, I'd have still sat here and said he is way down on the list of things that need to be fixed and things that need to change yep. for this team. Because right now, it doesn't matter who you have playing quarterback. You can put Kyler Murray out there. But TCU could have hung 70 points on the board today. And right. you weren't winning that football game, regardless of who was playing quarterback. Right. So until things change on defense and change significantly, until we see a wholesale shift in the very nature, the way that defense is played in Norman, Oklahoma, it does not matter who is taking the snaps. Oklahoma's ceiling is only so high. And right now, in what looks like a very competitive Big 12, it's real hard to get optimistic about where this Oklahoma team is going to go if Gabriel misses significant time. Yeah. Because, as I said a moment ago, the gap between him and the rest of the quarterback room is huge. And so, when you're talking about the quarterback that gives you the best chance to go and win football games, it's Dylan Gabriel by a mile. Hmm. And if Dylan Gabriel isn't in the picture... Brandon, I don't know if there's a quarterback on that roster right now that is capable of going and winning you football games if the defense plays half as poorly as it did today. Yeah. I. What do you think the odds are he plays next week? What, 30% maybe at most? I think they're low. Yeah. And here's the thing. What you also have to consider is that there's going to be an increased – Oh yeah, Tua. stigma. Yeah, about concussions because of what just happened with Tua Tungavaloa. So, uh, there's going to be an urge to play the cautious route with Gabriel, even if he is ready by next week. Yeah. So I, right now, I do not expect him to take the field in the Cotton Bowl, and if he is not on the field, 
I don't know, man. Oklahoma's odds to win that game do not look good. I, I'll, I'll say this, and I know it doesn't mean much, but whatever. I I don't think the odds are good for Oklahoma to beat Texas. I'm going to say right now, uh, just mainly because two is out, and mainly because I don't know that anybody trusts this defense at all. Like at some point, and it's so weird that you go up to Nebraska. Nebraska's got a good offense, and you just completely dominate them. But K State kind of gave everybody the blueprint on what to do and TCU did TCU did not run their normal offense by the way if you notice today they were running a lot of six and seven man front on the line exactly what K-State does and essentially it was just like you're not getting back here you're not going to get back at our quarterback and since you're not going to have any pressure we're going to be able to completely put pressure on your defensive backs who we don't think are very good. And, and that that's, that's what they did. It was a brilliant game plan because yeah. when you have a whole crop of receivers that are six foot five, yep, like TCU does, heck, take those one on one matchups. Put that extra man in protection to make sure your quarterback uh isn't under duress as he delivers. No, the, it was a brilliant game plan. The tight end blocked so much. I was I was literally making note of it the whole game. I was like 18. He's going to stay in block. Yep. Six man front block. And you got the running back. If he would sit there and wait, 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 if nobody was back there after one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, he would veer out and try to see if he could get open as well. So he would, you still would have four, three or three or four guys out or three guys out running routes, basically essentially or four. And you would have your, your, the six guys blocking. I mean, it was brilliant. You got five guys rushing, six guys blocking. The odds are, the offense are going to win those 90% of the time because, and this isn't, again, I guess it's a knock on the defensive front. You could do that at Clemson because they had Superman up front, like literally superstars. And right now, to BV's credit, they're getting, and Bates and Chavis, they're getting those dudes in. They got some in 2022. They got some in 2021. They got them coming in in 2023. The fact of the matter is, is they're young. They're young and they're inexperienced. So you're not going to see a lot of those guys play a whole bunch. You saw Grayson Halton play again. He's going to be a really good player for Oklahoma. You saw Kelvin Gillian play. He's going to be a really good player for Oklahoma. You obviously, everybody knows our Mason Thomas is going to be a superstar. Like, And I, I'm honestly wondering how much does our Mason Thomas bring back to the table defensively pass rush wise because of who he is. He's nasty on the pass rush third down. You always have 32 in there, right? Like it seemed like they always put 32 in there, pin their ears back and it caused a problem. Somebody was getting a sack because our Mason Thomas was coming off the edge. So I'm interested to see when he comes back for Texas, because I was told he's going to be back for Texas. Um, how, how does that up the ante for the pass rush for Oklahoma? And it's weird to say that because he's a freshman, but he's he's a bad dude. You want to hear the parallel? Go ahead. Last year, hear a lot of buzz in preseason camp about Danny Stutzman, right? Really shows out through the first two games, but gets hurt in that second game of the year in a pretty meaningless situation. Yep. Sits out until the Texas game, but when he comes back, played great. Played great. Made a couple of very pivotal plays down the stretch. 
Yeah. Is that going to be the same mark for our Mason Thomas here in 2022? Man, I I need to see that guy on the field a lot next week. Yeah. Because you have to. at this point, it's it, what you have isn't working. And if it hasn't worked against Kansas State and it hasn't worked against TCU, it sure as hell is not going to work against Texas or Baylor right. or Oklahoma State. You've got to change things up. You got to give dudes looks, even if you're not entirely comfortable with it. Uh, I was having a conversation with, uh, well, I I won't disclose their identity out of respect, but somebody who is uh, close to the team, uh, he, he and I were having a discussion uh, on my drive over here, and one of the things he uh, said was, look, when it comes to the younger guys, at a certain point, you have to acknowledge that playing your veterans is what gives you predictable outcomes. Right. And that yep. probably that's probably what leads you to feel pretty good about them in comparison to the rest of the stable. But at what point at what point do you say, okay, it's probably time to ditch the predictable outcomes and see where the unpredictable ones get? Yes. Because right now it does not get much worse than this if you're Oklahoma. Uh you are dead last in the Big Twelve through two weeks. And your defensive recipe not working it's completely useless right now yeah uh, and I, I don't i don't know where the fix comes from i think it, the the fix ultimately has to come from up front first and i think first off oklahoma fans rejoice rejoice and be glad because a&m got beat 44 42 to 24 today Rejoice. Off the Hicks debacle, Oklahoma needed that. I know that they got killed today, too. But the fact of the matter is, is both teams got spanked. And spanked hard. Misery loves company, I suppose. <laughs> it does. So, I guess the two teams that David Hicks cho- chose between played absolutely brutal on defense today. It's just awful. So, there's that. Anyways, but so where how I guess where is the fix on defense? Like I like I said, I think you have to have sort of front maybe. Uh, maybe you do. And how how do you do that? Like who do you play? Obviously, you need more R. Mason Thomas when he comes back. You need more Jalen Redmond, right? You need more because Jalen Redmond got in the backfield quite a bit again. I just want him to be under control when he gets in the backfield. That's probably like his biggest, like he falls down. Like he gets all, it seems like he gets like so excited and <laughs> he gets through. He's like, Oh, Oh man. And, just, and he's like chasing after him all the time. So I, I think you got to play Armason Thomas more. You got to play Jalen Redmond more. I honestly think Ethan Downs has been fairly good on the edge. I don't think he's been a problem. He's made plays. He hasn't been an issue. He no, he has not. They do not go to his – when they go outside, it's not Ethan Downs that's getting sucked in. I can tell you that. I'm not pointing fingers to the other guy, but I'm telling you who it is, telling you who it is without naming him. And they do not go to Ethan Downs' side a lot. And a lot of times, Ethan Downs will come from the backside and make a play. He did it three or four times again today on a, on a run play. And so I think you got to play him. I don't know that he's the best pass rusher the greatest pass rusher because I don't I don't think that's like his strength yet. He's still trying to learn how to use his hands and everything. But 
the other interior guy is kind of in question. And I honestly, like Kelvin Gilliam, I think you need to play him more. I do. Get him some reps. Get him in the game. See what he can do. He's a good player. And I think you have to play Jaron Canick. Like, if you don't play Jaron Canick, I like I don't get it. Parker, I don't get it. And I know Teddy Lehman didn't like he was all selling you like enough with the Jaron Canick needs to play more crap. But after today, can no, we say no, it? Can Jaren, we li- literally Jaren say it? He needs to play more. He needs he needs to play more. Like Deshaun White, I love the guy, man. But God, like that the the first big play that they had, you know who that was right. There was Deshaun White just got a crick in his neck watching that dude run behind him by twenenty yards. It's like I used to make a joke <laughs> in college. Do you remember Eric Bassey? Do you remember Eric Bassey? Yeah, 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 yeah. I used to call him Eric Burn Me Deep Bassey. Oh, boy. But he actually ended up being really good. Hopefully he's not listening. <laughs> no, but he he actually he ended up being really good. It was just like the first, his first time out there at safety, he did. He, struggled. he would probably tell you that, honestly. Uh, but he ended up being a really good player for Oklahoma. But, like, Deshaun White got lost several times, Parker. Yeah. Like, just straight loss. He is not a safety. He's not a deep guy. They've got to figure out somebody that's more athletic. Guess who's fast and can run and has played safety in high school? You know who that guy is? He wears number seven. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And, look, there's a time and a place to complain about personnel. And for the most part, I'm not big on – Oh, uh, XYZ player sucks. We should replace no, him with XYZ other anybody player. sucks. But, but I will say this. Uh, you hear that all the time from fans. Yeah. And 90% of the time, it doesn't carry any merit. Because 90% of the time, it's in reference to a guy like Dylan Gabriel. And I always go back to what Mike yeah, Zimmer said about Kellen Mond, right? When the Vikings were having struggles at the quarterback position when Kirk Cousins was out. And a reporter asked Mike Zimmer, hey, why don't you try Kellen Mond? Why don't you feel the need to see him on Sunday? And Mike Zimmer said, because I see him every day in practice. <laughs> so that's that, fair. That holds up generally across the board. And when a coach has a certain player playing over another player, it's generally because that player is better. Yeah. But again, I said, I, I said, there's a time and a place to start having discussions about personnel and who needs to play more. And this is the time and place. Yeah. Because it literally does not get any worse than what you saw today. No, it was, it was, it was, I, I don't, I, there's literally, we, so people are going to ask, is there a recruiting fallout to this? There's that it, thus far. There's been the opposite of a yeah. recruiting fallout. There's been a recruiting coalition. Uh, Dalen Smothers started the hashtag Trust BV on social media. Eric McCarty has already retweeted it. Um, it's a bad dude right there. Samuel Masigo tweeted support for OU. Macari Vickers tweeted, "I know we're not losing next week," and then announced he'd be coming to the OU Texas game accompanied by a picture of him throwing the horns down. 
Um, I'm trying to think who else has come out and said something publicly in the aftermath here. But uh, at the end of it all, for the most part, it seems as though these it, it's actually had the opposite effect on these guys. Yeah. For the most part, across the board, it feels like everybody has concurred with Dalen Smothers' sentiment that, hey, we're gonna we're gonna trust the vision here. We're gonna trust the process. And I know the origin of trust the process was those awful, awful 76ers teams of the early 2010s. Yeah. And hopefully it doesn't come to that for Oklahoma or anything close to that. But I think what became evident today is that this is a long, long way from a finished product. And there is a lot of work to be done if Oklahoma is to be competitive, not just in the Big 12, but once they make the transition to the SEC. Yeah, um, you know, I saw things from, I, I believe I was on Instagram and I was seeing things from uh, Anthony Evans. And there was one person saying, like, you sure you don't want to rethink Oklahoma and stuff like that? And he shared it on his story. But then he came back and he was like, look, I got three months and I'm going to change this thing kind of deal. So yeah. it seems like. You got that. I, I think the one guy that, and you know, he always tells me like I'm 100% locked in. I'm not looking at anybody else. I'm not going to look at Texas. I'm not going to do this. So that is, is Colton Vasek. And I think that's the one guy Oklahoma fans are like, please don't, please don't leave. Cause he is a bad dude. Like he is a bad dude. Yes. He's certified. Dude. Stamped. And, yeah. And, uh, so I don't I don't know about that. And then you see like I thought it was Twitter, I thought it's rivals was like Georgia is looking at, you know, Jackson Arnold. Dude, that's laughable. Please. Like, come on. Well, like, and here here's the thing. You also have to look at the other side of the coin in all of this. Right. And that is to say that on the one hand, the the typical I, the average fan is going to look at a situation like this and their first thought is going to be, oh, why would XYZ player want any part of this? They they should just decommit while they can. But yeah. on the contrary, if you're somebody like Derek LeBlanc and you just witnessed that today, what are you probably sitting there thinking? I can get on the field next year. Yeah. I can change this thing. Yeah. And they tweeted out, like, we're 100% with Oklahoma. We're not going anywhere. We're behind Coach Venables. We know he's going to change the program, all that type of stuff. So I think Oklahoma fans need to take a deep breath. And I think if you're if you're Peyton Bowen, that's probably another thing. And, and Ryan Yates, you're looking at that going, dude, I'm getting on the field in year one if I go to Oklahoma. Like, year one. And so that's a, I know it's a bad look. But at the same time, I think Oklahoma – Coaches are going to use this loss to their advantage. Similarly, like Texas has done, where you know they're five and seven, they go out and have a number three class in the country type deal. And I'm not saying that's what Oklahoma's going to end up with. I think they'll end up with a top five class, five, four to seven, five, six, seven class. They'll they'll end up with a class that you can win a national title with. How about that? And I don't think they're far from done getting guys. And I think the more people watch, because they know, like, what Brent Venables can do is he can go back to 2011 and 2012 of his time at Clemson. 
and he can say, look, this defense was bad. Like, they were not great at Clemson. I remember they got like 77 points or something like that handed to them by, what was it, West Virginia at one point in a yeah. bowl game. But the very next year, they were one of the best defenses in the country. And so that's what I'm telling fans. Like, you can be upset about all this. Like, we're frustrated. You're frustrated. But know that at some point when Venables gets all of his dudes and they're ready to roll, and it's going to be faster now with the transfer portal, he's going to be able to accumulate all these guys. They're still residual from Mike Stoops. We were talking about this off air. They're still residual from Mike Stoops. They're still obviously residual from Alex Grinch. That culture doesn't just flip over like that. They those those poor players, and I know I say that lightly, kind of a joking matter, but not. Let's see if you agree with me on this, Parker. Okay. When they start to see this thing avalanche a little bit on them, they're oh here we go again, here we go again, and their confidence you can just see it just going like a roller coaster, yeah, straight downhill. And it shows in their play. They're, they'll play really good. Oh, that's the thing. Oklahoma, the defensive guys are really high, and then they get really low when things go bad. There's never a happy medium of just playing solid. Or at least it hasn't been the last two games. They were really good the first three games of the season, and they were able to keep building on that high and the, the confidence. But the second, K-State punched them in the mouth, and they were like, whoa, what the crap? Oh, here we go again. We're gonna we're gonna give up a thousand yards, and sure enough, they did. At what point does that culture start to flip over to Venable's toughness culture, and how long does that take? Oh, that was an actual question. That I was, thought that was literally rhetorical. how long that does that take? <laughs> <laughs> question mark. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I really don't because it depends on how many of these guys show up and are ready to make a day one impact. Like with somebody like PJ Atabare, for instance. Yeah. Who is a freak show physically and fast, strong as all get out, has all the tools, but is still somewhat new to the position. Is that a guy that comes in and contends for playing time right off the bat? just based on that physique and that skill set? Or is he somebody that requires a lot of technical refinement to get to the point where you're comfortable putting him out there against power five offensive tackles? And it takes him two or three years to be the type of player that's starting caliber at the university of Oklahoma. Right. I mean, you look at the guys that are starters right now, for instance, Ethan downs was that dude from the get go, but it took Reggie Grimes a little bit, took him a little while to get there. So how many of those guys are ready to come in and tangibly and immediately change this thing up? Yeah. That's what it boils down to. And there's not really an easy answer. I mean, with the transfer, do you think, uh, I guess my my question is, do you think, I think at some point this season, you're going to start seeing more positive momentum for Oklahoma defensively, but I just don't know when, like I'm, I'm not for certain it's going to be next week because I think, I, I honestly believe Sarkeesian is a offensive mastermind. Like I, I I believe that. 
he's a he's a good offensive mind. There's no denying it. Yep. The question becomes how healthy is Quinn Ewers? Right. Because okay, but do, with the way that secondary played today doesn't matter. If you got yeah, well, and that may be true. Okay. With the way that secondary played yeah. today, it may not matter. Yeah. But uh, obviously, Quinn Ewers is back in the fold, and he's full send. Then that's a dude that's going to have the capacity to dice you up a lot more so than somebody like Hudson Guard. Yeah, I wonder so. if he plays tonight. Like, I honestly wonder that. Like, uh, they're set to kick off here in about 10 minutes. Yeah. I, I doubt because I, I know from just talking to people around the program uh, that he's not 100% yet. And even if he's at 85, 90, do you risk bringing him back for a game like West Virginia? Knowing the biggest game of your season is on deck next week. I'm, and Oklahoma still is the biggest game in Texas this season, just as Texas is the biggest game Oklahoma season. Right. That's the game that has the capacity to, as we've talked about so many times, either leave that building riding the emotional high of victory and it sets the tone the rest of the way, or it tanks your season because it just takes all the air out of you. Gotcha. Well, um, he is out today. So uh, there you go. For Pete Thamel. Uh, do do you foresee this defense rebounding this season? And that's something. It, well, it depends on it. It depends on what you would define and categorize as a rebound. Are yeah. they going to play better? Yeah, they will. Yeah, at some point they will. They almost have to play better because again, it just it. it it's hard to fathom things getting any worse than they were today. Right. But are they going to be an elite unit? Are they going to be a top 20, top 25 unit nationally? Statistically over the second half of the season? I have my doubts. Are they going to be able to win you football games? (laughs) Win you you football games as opposed to just not losing you football games. It's, it doesn't look great in that regard right now. No, I, I I would I would essentially say that Oklahoma the, the talent is there. That's the problem. Is the talent is there. Like when you look across the board and you see who's on their defense talent, and you actually just go back five recruiting cycles, and and that's kind of you can go back six because there's a few stragglers, COVID. The talent is ridiculous on that on Oklahoma's team. That's the problem. Like it's so good, it's just like nobody can figure out how to get them to mesh. And I think that is kind of the query. I'm just like, how how is that possible? Everybody else seems to be able to get their defense to mesh, except for Oklahoma. No matter how talented they are right now, it is like a culture issue. And thank you, Mike Stoops. Thank you, Mike Stoops, for doing that to Oklahoma. He started it and has never ended. It's been four years and we're still still throwing Mike Stoops out of the box. I mean, it has it not, has it not, it still has not ended. Like ever since he's been, it just seems like it no matter what coach comes in, it just it never gets fixed. Talent keeps getting there. You have top one hundred dudes across the board. Across the board on the defensive line. Okay. Why can't they fix it? Your starting safety is a number 35 player in the country, Billy Bowman. 
you're you have a number 70 whatever whatever boom, top 100 player in Woody Washington you have Jaden Davis who was a top 150 player you have uh Deshaun White top 250 you have Aguebu top 100 you have Danny Stutzman top 150 like there is no excuses bro like are you seeing what i'm saying it like it is i mean it is an imbroglio i concede that to you what I will say it just is doesn't that, make sense. No, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but here's no matter my, the coach. My best explanation right now is that these guys just haven't been developed. And all of a sudden, I think here in 2022, the rest of the conference has caught up to Oklahoma in such a way that lack of development is starting to actually burn them down. Yeah. Uh, because these are, and we've talked about it, and it's the mo- most face value, obvious observation you can make, right? But these aren't Venables guys; these are Mike Stoops and Alex Grinch's guys. Yeah, and some of them are still really talented players. Yeah, it's not a knock on the whole defense, but they've gotten nine months of Brent Venables. Yeah, and so in hindsight, as we look at it now probably went a little bit overboard with the suggestion that Venables was going to be able to turn things around quickly because these are still players that were subject to the regimes of Mike Stoops and Alex Grinch for years. It's going to take a little while, if not just as long, for them to unlearn all of what's been wired into their brain and their bodies and relearn everything that Venables wants to drill into them. So, uh, I guess, I forgot what I was going to say, because it was actually pretty pertinent to what you were saying. Um, there, It just seems like, and I, I said it, I said it earlier, and I, I mean it, um, I do think that, like you said, the development part, and that's kind of what I was getting at earlier when I was talking about Grinch and Stoops. I mean, Stoops' defense was very intricate, but it was so intricate that it was just, like, confusing to people, like, super confusing. And I think, in a way, Venables is to an extent, but he still puts his players in position to... And and is he's not he's not too, I guess strong willed, hard headed that he's not going to get away from things that aren't working normally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're going to see a change in the defense moving forward. I don't know what that change is going to be. It could be personnel. It could be the front, the alignment. Maybe a four man more than four two five more than a three three five. I mean, I think there's variations of ways that Oklahoma can combat this. It's just. Does the development that they've done since they've arrived allow them to grow fast enough that they, because of their talent, allow them to at least stay distance until next year and maybe start winning some games? Because if you were going to pick right now, and I said, gun to your head, what's Oklahoma's final record? 
right now at the end of the season. Well, my first response would be, can you pull the gun back out in a few <laughs> days when we know Dylan Gabriel's status? Fair. But you told me you're pulling the trigger right now. Seven and five. Seven and five. Yeah. It's mine too. Seven and five. All right. That's that's really what it feels like. And this is why, like, here's the thing, man. This is why I'm all for getting some of the younger guys on the field a lot more yep. than we're seeing them right now is because the one thing they don't have to do that the older guys do is unlearn. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they're they're a bunch of blank canvases. That's true. And I will say, I will say this. There's virtually no positives that you can take away from today, but Javante Barnes played really well. Robert Spears Jennings played really well yeah, when down came, the stretch. Yep. yep. Jaden Rowe got a little bit of burn. Gentry Williams. As did Gentry Williams. Grayson Halton saw looked quite good. a few snaps. He looked good when he was in there. Yeah. And so uh I did Oddly enough, the one guy that still didn't play a whole lot defensively was Jaron Canick. But he did. Again, he got he well even, towards the end. He did. Yeah, third but, quarter. Yeah, yeah. I, I. But the, it doesn't make sense why he's not playing earlier. In, like I, Ted Roof. I hope you're listening. Calling you out. Play him. Play him. Play Jaron Canick. I was actually told by a couple of sources that that was a strong topic of conversation inside this, the Switzer Center this week. As it should be. And, again, these younger guys don't have to unlearn. Let's see what they got. Right. Let's see what RSJ's got in an expanded role. Let's see what Grayson Halton offers off the edge. Uh, we've got a pretty good sense of what our Mason Thomas is going to be. Mm-hmm. And he, he might be the best freshman you have on the defensive side of the ball. It's probably a two horse race between him and Canick. Yeah. But I at this point I am all for rotating some of those freshmen in in a much expanded capacity because something's got to change. Yep. And I'm a lot more comfortable asserting that it is personnel related than scheme related mm-hmm. as we've discussed. All right, man. Uh I probably should do it for this batch of post-game podcasts oh, here but boy. so final thoughts real quick for me is and i guess i can sum it up in one word if i'm oklahoma embarrassed embarrassed this was an embarrassing performance on both sides of the ball um start to finish and i think the other word i would want to use is uh they keep using the word strain that's like really one of their their famous tropes that they like to throw out there is strain 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 okay well i'm gonna call them strained because they look strained they look strained they look stressed they look confused they look pressured they look discombobulated at times they look Lost, which is same as discombobulated, I guess. Um, they don't look right, and at some point this season, if I'm Brent Venables, I get the team together when they get, and I say, "Everybody, 
to the meeting room now. And everybody that wants to win, everybody obviously wants to win. Anybody that has an issue with putting in extra work this week and making sure that we do things the right way, the proper way, offensively and defensively, and that we find a way to fix the issues, no matter how long it takes, no matter what you have to do, obviously your schoolwork matters and all that type of stuff, but everything else, like your butt better be here. I don't care if you have a date. I don't care if you've got any of this. You better be in the Switzer Center. You better be watching film. You better be with your coaches. You better be talking to them constantly, figuring out what you have to do to get better. And the leaders of the team need to have a team meeting every day to make sure. And they need to have a checklist. You know, did this, this, this. Let's work on this, this, and this today. Did we figure we're proficient at this now? Okay, cool. Move on to this. We'll come back to that and make sure we're proficient. But the point is, is they've got to figure out a way to make this thing work. Because if they don't, Parker, this thing could get even more out of hand than it already is. Yeah, this could get ugly. And it could get scary and ugly for this program. And that's not something you want year one for a head coach. And is this why Riley left? Is this why Riley left? Did he see this coming? I think that's a, I think it's a fair question. With everything that they lost last year, they lost a 11 guys to the NFL. Is this why he just said, I'm out? I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to leave that one alone. Cause we could have a whole nother three hour podcast on that question alone. But I guess my closing thoughts on this football game is, well, are uh, a, you better figure this out and figure it out fast because it does not get any easier. Mm -hmm. You got Texas on deck. And then after that, you got a five and O Kansas team. So if you don't get this thing turned around, you could be sitting at three and four heading into the bye week. Yeah. And that's very, very much within the realm of possibility right now. And secondly, I think, man, you got to, and I know I said it earlier, you got to make some tough decisions. You're going to have to make some decisions that maybe you're not 100% comfortable with. You're going to have to piss somebody off. You're going to have to probably fight your own conscience. But at what point... (laughs) At what point have you tried everything else? You know, right. At what point are you willing to acknowledge, okay, we've explored every avenue except this one. Let's see where this one gets us. Yeah. It's, it's a loss that should sting. And everybody in that locker room should take it as a personal challenge. And it should be embedded and seared into the, minds of every single one of those players 55 to 24 that doesn't happen at the university of oklahoma it doesn't they hadn't lost a big 12 game by that many points since 2014 and 2014 was about the worst year this millennium for oklahoma football it's not the kind of company you want to be keeping no so figure it out figure it out fast 
I don't know what that looks like. That's the coach's responsibility, not mine. All I'm saying is, man, this may be accompanied by some tough decisions, but some decisions that need to get made for the good of your football team. Yeah. Because, and I, I want to echo what Brent Venables said in post game as well. Uh, and he got a little bit choked up. He got a little bit emotional as is his tendency at times. But, uh, one of the things he said, and it looked like he was kind of struggling to get it out for whatever reason, but he said, talent doesn't win games. Teams win games. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now. That was my question, actually. Yeah. <laughs> let's see that applied. Because what I'm suggesting is that maybe a football player that's not quite as talented as another, in your eyes, yeah. offers you a better opportunity to win games than the alternative that's something you got to consider in the aftermath of a loss like this yeah uh, i agree everything you said we can't this is just it's hard it's hard to even get over with this podcast because we have so many things like you want to say about everything that just happened today but we'll have another podcast. We'll also have the YouTube live coming up here later on this week for you all to vent to us and yell at us and scream at us and call us names too, because that's what you know we're here for. Punching bag for you guys, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that's gonna do it for this version of the OU Insider Under the Visors Turner's Post Game Podcast. Oklahoma lost 55-24, the worst loss in the season I can remember in a long time. Something needs to be fixed. Everything needs to be fixed, and they better fix it fast. They have Texas coming up next week. Uh, I know we give this spiel about coming on to OU Insider, and <laughs> I just don't feel like it's right right now. So if you want to join, join. If you don't, don't, I guess. But uh, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. For Parker Thune, my name is Brandon Drum. You guys have a blessed day.